Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. 41 degrees outside, kind of a cold, rainy day. Looks like it's going to be a dreary weekend, but that's okay. It is Wisconsin in the fall, and the Wisconsin Badgers men's football team, I guess the football team is men's, kicks off uh, tonight, 7 o'clock. That will be fun. I know a lot of people will be watching it. Governor Evers says don't have big Badgers parties. Just kind of stay at home and watch it yourself. I'll be curious to see how many people actually follow that advice, but obviously you, you want to be safe. That's a primary thing. All right. It is it is perhaps not surprising, but it shows, it shows where the city of Milwaukee is. The Fire and Police Commission is a complete and total train wreck, dumpster fire, use whatever phrase you want to describe it. And, and, and a lot of that comes back on Tom Barrett, because Tom Barrett's the guy that ultimately puts the people on the Fire and Police Commission. The Fire and Police Commission is the group that decided that they were going to run Police Chief Alfonso Morales, in my opinion, one of the best chiefs that the city of Milwaukee has had in 30 years. They were going to run him out of town on, on a rail. There's a lawsuit now. The taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee are going to end up paying a lot of money because of that decision. But the the interesting thing is, despite the fact that the Chief Morales or former Chief Morales had a lot of support from the rank and file police officers and had a lot of support from the community, the Fire and Police Commission did not care about that. So, all right, they, they get rid of Morales. The acting police chief, for whatever reasons, makes a decision that he's not going to apply for the full-time job. That tells you a lot. When the acting police chief, the guy who's got the job, decides that he doesn't want to apply, it tells you he understands how difficult it's going to be to get along with the Fire and Police Commission. So they end up taking applications. In most urban police departments, what you want is you want to promote from within. First of all, that's good for morale. Secondly, what that does is it brings somebody that has an institutional memory. It it brings them to the forefront. And there's a lot of good quality people that, you know, I think could have been the police chief in any event. So the interim police chief, the acting police chief, he decides he's not going to apply. So of the various people that apply and make the final six, there's only one one internal candidate from the Milwaukee Police Department. And yesterday, the Fire and Police Commission announced they had winnowed the list to three, and that internal candidate didn't make the last three. So there will be an outsider that is going to be brought in. Now, first of all, again, I, I think the most telling example of that is it shows that you have, first of all, a Fire and Police Commission that is completely and totally divorced from the the police department that it that it runs that they don't think that there's anybody in that department that's capable of being promoted from within so that's indication number 1 and, and number 2 I think you also have this factor that just a lot of people inside the department recognize that it's an impossible task as long as you have this fire and police commission so the the three finalists one is a, a major from the Dallas 
police department who was demoted by the new chief. He he applied to be the police chief, lost out in that power struggle, and now it seems to me he's looking to get out. You have a guy who um, no ties at all to Milwaukee. He's been a deputy chief with the Portland Police Department in Oregon. Before that, he's from Arizona. No clue at all about Milwaukee. And then you have a supervisory agent with the FBI who um, has never worked never worked as an urban police chief, but he at least has some ties to Milwaukee in that he, he grew up here and played, you know, basketball at Rufus King High School's 1984 state champion. So now he, he's with the FBI. He at least grew up in Milwaukee, so he knows where some of the streets are, presumably, even though he has no experience a, as an urban police chief. Th- th- those are the three choices that you're left with. It is just mind-boggling to me, once again, that you have no internal candidates. And believe me, that's that's a fact that's being known among, made, being made known among the internal staff at the Milwaukee Police Department. This idea that, okay, now we're going to have an outsider come in, and I mean, I understand you have the one guy that grew up in Milwaukee, but I mean an outsider to the workings of the police department, and essentially is going to have to start from square one at a time where the city of Milwaukee is on a pace for a record number of homicides, or at least a record number of homicides, you know, in the last 25 years. But the bigger story is, to me, it just shows that there's a lot of qualified candidates who would be local who just recognize that the way Tom Barrett's Fire and Police Commission runs this city, it is a complete and total loser, and people want no part of it. All right, when we come back, what happened last night? Oh, yeah, Nashville, Tennessee, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, debate number two, we will discuss. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is All-American Window and Door. They are the experts in making your dreams a reality. Find them at allamericanwindow.com. All-American Windows and Door, they've been providing quality replacement windows, doors, and siding to southeastern Wisconsin for 36 years. In October, they've got 200 bucks off windows, not to mention that they have home improvement financing options that cater to your needs. Come on in, visit their showroom. They're located right off of Mequon Road in Germantown. And if you're not ready for an in-person visit, they have a virtual showroom on their website at allamericanwindow.com or give them a call, 262-255-7170. Estimates are free. All right. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not know whether you took the time to watch it. I, I had something to do last night, but I taped it, came home, and I, I did watch the debate in its entirety from Nashville. My question is, who do you think won, and did it make any difference? Your reaction to what you saw or heard last night, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I thought President Trump was much, much, much better last night than he was a couple weeks earlier. I, I, I wish... I wish he would have taken that approach a couple weeks ago. Secondly, I thought in general the debate was conducted in a very, very fair fashion. I give props to the moderator, who I think did a good job of keeping the candidates focused. I think the um, the fact that the mics were going to be silenced during that those first segments of, of each of the questions, I think that that was a good thing. It helped keep stuff under control. I thought Joe Biden started out started out poorly. 
I think he got better as time went on. And at the end of the day, I'm not sure it made any difference at all. Those are my overall impressions. Let's talk about it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to what you saw or heard last evening. Let's start with Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great show as usual. Thank you. Um, my, my thoughts are this. I watched the entire debate from beginning to end. I did have my popcorn ready. Um, here's the deal. Uh, from the debate, from the beginning of it, uh, Trump seemed to take control right away. And there again, I think there's some issues going on with Biden as far as, yes, some people said that, well, you got to understand he's a little older. He might have a stuttering problem. He might have some cognizance issues as far as that's going on well but some of the questions that came at him where it took him a while to formulate if i'm looking at a leader of the free world i want you to be on point trump seemed very calm last night very pointed like okay if you're going to turn off my mic not a problem i'll sit here yeah i'll hold my temper he did a great job i i, I give him credit he did a great job like at that so he pointed out his issues. He didn't have any major blow-ups or gas. He pointed out, he asked pointed questions that Biden as to, as to why this is very strong in voice, speech, mm-hmm. everything, and being strong and coming at Biden. Biden had his points or two, but mm-hmm. uh, what concerned me was with Biden is, is that his spottiness where he struggled to create certain points where and I get that when you're older. But there again, does that make me unnerving as far as how do you go in that direction when you can't articulate a okay. certain position? And Trump just went at it okay. um, from his behalf, and he was clear in speaking and what he was trying to say. Okay, well, thanks for the call, Marcus. I, I guess, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that I, I saw that. I, saw that. I, I think Biden was on the defensive early on. I, I'm not sure I, I saw examples of uh, of huge cognitive problems there. Matter of fact, Biden had a couple good one-liners that, that he got off. I think he made some mistakes where he talked about wanting to eliminate the oil industry and things like that that, that caused him to have to, to back up. I thought that the the Trump challenges on oh, okay okay Joe you know let, let's talk about the Hunter thing let's talk about the Hunter thing I, I thought those scored some points but actually I mean I, I think Biden had some good lines particularly in response to the COVID thing I, I guess I I didn't watch this and see I don't know some some tottering some some tottering senile guy that that I guess wasn't the impression that I came away with but maybe other people saw it differently eight five five six one six one six twenty that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line I I do think President Trump was more focused than he was before and that that was a positive now I guess the question is does it make any difference Vincent on the Northwest Side Vincent you're on WTMJ I, I agree with you hello Jeff uh, I agree with you that I. I don't think either candidate got an advantage last night. I think that when you say that if uh, Donald Trump uh, basically behaved himself like a president and had a had had a a a a, 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 uh, a non-screaming and, and interrupting debate, that's positive. I guess you can look at that. But I think both candidates uh, acquitted themselves well in certain areas. But my point is, I think that the the the, the race question, the race issue. I think separates both these candidates. 
I think the fact is is that I think when 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 President uh, Trump talks about himself being the the, the best president for black people since Abraham Lincoln. I think that insults black people. The fact is there were a lot of things in between him and, and, and Lincoln that I think benefited black folks greatly. Mm-hmm. The Civil Rights Act of 64, the Voting Act of 65, I think those were, were greater impacts on, on, on black folks uh, uh, in this country more than Trump has ever done. Right. I think it's very insulting to say that he's done more for black people. I think black and 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 him trying to answer the race question. It seems like he he just can't do it. It seems like he's trying to convince himself that he's not a racist. Yeah. And and I, I and I think that that Joe Biden directly looked at the people and and stated his 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 point uh, admirably about race. And I, I think that separates both of them mm-hmm. from, from last night. Do you think that anybody who watched that had their opinions changed by what occurred on the stage? No, yeah. no. You, you've had millions of people vote, already yeah. voted, you know, including myself. I've already, my, me and my wife have already voted. So no, I don't think it, 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 it moved the needle for either person last night. Right. I think the fact is, is that uh, we did get more information, which was great about each other's platform. But the fact is, I don't think it changed anybody's vote at this particular time. Do you remember the part where where Biden talked about, um, you know, having having a good relationship with Hitler before he invaded Europe? That the Nazi reference. You remember that? Uh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I think it was in reference to when they were talking about uh, uh, issues about that national national right. issues. Yeah. Leaders of other countries. I guess I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I guess a couple of the moments that stuck in my mind where and I, I appreciate what you're saying about President Trump when he said, I've been I've been the, I've been the greatest president since Abraham Lincoln for black America. I, I, I kind of I, and I understand exactly what you're saying about that, Vincent. I sort of lumped. Um, when, when Joe Biden, when Joe Biden goes into the Hitler sort of analogies, I, I kind of lump those both together. I'm thinking, you know, really, it's it's just people need to stay away from Hitler analogies. I think it's just, it, that's yeah, definitely thing that drives do. me crazy. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think they do as well. So, uh, but but uh, but my point is, I don't think it moved the needle yeah. either way for either candidate. I think people's mind it was the people's minds are already baked in. So. We'll see how it turns out. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I, I agree. I, I think that I, I think it was a much better debate this time than than a couple of weeks ago. Maybe maybe not as entertaining in the perspective of a food fight or or a train wreck, but I think it was again it was much more entertaining. I I, I mean, I'm getting texts from people who say that they they thought you know Joe Biden come came across like he looks like he's ready for the nursing home. I, I that in all honesty that that's not the sense that I get. I I think President Trump. I mean I think he was more focused and more on point. Sometimes he he can't help himself when he goes off on tangents, but he certainly demonstrated an energy as well. Well, okay, let's talk to uh, Mark in Florida. Hi, Mark. You're in WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, like I was t- uh, telling your screener, um, I think Trump helped himself. Uh, the first debate, he came back, and, and uh, I was kidding your screener. Um, he probably came across to the group that he has to reach, the middle class, suburban women and younger women in general. He comes across when his prior sound bites are taken out of context or whatever, like he wants to bite the head off of a dog. That's the way a lot of women, or at least some women that I talk to, see him. Mm-hmm. He came across as more presidential, much more restrained, 
um, on point uh, more, much more than the first debate. I think he helped himself. I also don't like Joe Biden, but I, you can see the debating skill that Joe Biden has. Right. And Joe Biden knows when to put his head down, shut up, and let the other guy make a fool out of himself. Um, so, but Trump really helped himself, and there are, on, I think, undecided women voters out there to this very day. I don't know how many, but I was at a uh, debate watch party last night in a local Irish watering hole, and there was a good smattering on both sides of the aisle there, and a lot of women were very, very attentive to that debate. And I, I, I think... Trump helped himself as much as he could. Well, no, see, thanks. For, I, see, I don't disagree with you. I, I think there are the race, in my opinion, is going to tighten because I think what is inevitably going to happen is you're going to have Republican voters. At the end of the day, they are going to come home. That that's I, and what I mean by that is I think you have you have a lot of Republican voters, particularly maybe you know consistent female Republican voters who have issues with, with President Trump about this. Mostly it's a personality sort of thing, I think, more than anything else. And I think at the end of the day, you know, when they go in to vote, if they're voting in person or when they fill out the ballot, at the end of the day, I, I think a good percentage of them are going to, they, they might be undecided, but they're going to come home. Now, I'm not making any predictions about whether that's going to be enough to, to carry all the states that President Trump needs to carry, but I do think the race is going to tighten. That's my, my general sense that's there. And to that extent, I, I think for those people who might kind of be on the fence, maybe people who voted for President Trump in 2016 and were looking for a reason to vote for him in 2018, I, I think I think he achieved his purpose of doing that. Now, whether that was enough to reach out and convince people that he is a far superior choice to Joe Biden, that's a whole different question. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back. Uh, lots of text. Let me just share a couple with you before we move on to the Peggy Noonan column. Uh, this is from Carl in Janesville. Jeff, the debate was handled much better, and I think President Trump looked much more presidential. I don't think anybody's minds were changed. Jeff, I was impressed by Trump's improvements, and honestly, all I really heard was Biden say, come on, man. Um, Jeff, better debate all around. Biden was allowed to speak more freely, which may not bode well for him with undecided voters. Well, he clearly had a couple unforced errors, including the, the fact that he you know, implied that he wanted to destroy the, the oil industry. He's backing off of that. Jeff, I think it's going to be Trump by a landslide. The fact that the talking points today are it won't matter anyways by Biden's comrades in the media says it all. Well, I think you got to be careful with um that um jeff uh, trump is still who he's always been jeff trump is trump he hasn't changed um all right so i guess time will tell all right here's here's one of the interesting things if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 I, I sent out a link to a column today by by peggy noonan former reagan speechwriter, and and she's she has been very she's a republican but she's been very very cool to president trump over over the years and um the headline of the story is a good debate and it's not quite over and and she makes the point that uh trump did what she thinks he had to do to at least keep himself in in the race but that um there there's still 
that he's probably behind. It's an assessment that I don't disagree with. Um, and then she talks about the rallies. We're going to discuss that in a little bit. But then she goes on and she has something at the end where she talks about the, the vice presidential candidate on the Democratic ticket, you know, Kamala Harris. Here, here's what she writes. For her part, vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris is, when on the trail, giddy. She's dancing with drum lines and beginning rallies with, what's up, Florida? She's throwing her head back and laughing a loud laugh, especially when nobody said anything funny. She's the younger candidate going for the younger vote, and she's going for a happy warrior vibe, but she's coming across as insubstantial frivolous. When she started to dance in the rain on stage in Jacksonville, Florida, um, it was embarrassing. Apparently, you're not allowed to say these things because she's a woman and she's doubling down on giddy because you're not allowed to say them. I, however, take Ms. Harris's advice to Ms. I take the advice of Mary J. Blige to heart. I will not sweat it. I will be myself. Kamala Harris is running for vice president of the United States in an era of heightened and unending crisis. The world, which doubts our strength, our character, and our class, is watching. If you can't imitate gravity, could you at least try for seriousness? I hate the shallowness which politics has now done, the absolute puerility of it. Do you? We're on the losing side. The future is an endless loop of Barack Obama on between two ferns, stamping on your face forever. Now, I I cite that because I thought it was interesting that that she wrote it. I have a very, very politically diverse group of friends. I understand some of you might not believe it, but it is the absolute truth. I have a a number of friends who, if they ever went in and and voted for a Republican, well, the earth would shake. They just don't think of doing that. And I have a number of friends who are rocked rib Republicans who um, just wouldn't think of voting the other way. And then I have a bunch of friends who, who maybe tend to lean one way or lean the other, but they do bounce back and forth. It, it makes for a very interesting group of people and diverse dinner conversations, and I treasure all, all my different friends. One of the concerns that I have been hearing when I talk to some of my female friends, particularly my my Republican female friends, is they have been expressing, again, a concern with President Trump, with the, the chaos approach, with the, you know, just, I mean, a lot of the different stuff. Even though they agree with his policies, what they say is they just, they just don't like all the drama and all the attacks and all those types of things. The, the, the balancing, though, that I'm hearing a lot is... They're scared as heck that if Joe Biden wins, the perception is maybe Biden is a more moderate sort of guy. But if Biden wins and the Democrats take control of the Senate, Biden is not going to be able to rein in the the crazy left. And what you're going to see is you're going to see years of, of progressive wish lists just get rammed through. The other concern that I hear is that people... At least some of the folks I talk to, and I'm particularly talking about female voters, saying that, you know, they have concerns about Senator Harris. And the concerns are that, that she is a bit frivolous, and they're concerned that she's way further to the left than Joe Biden. And the fact that given Biden's age and these things, maybe there's a possibility, more likely than other times, maybe there's a possibility that she will be, one way or the other, called upon to serve as the commander-in-chief. And it's that... It's that down ballot. It's that vice presidential slot, which 
may very well be the deciding point for them and who they vote for. Now, whenever I hear that, I always say, yeah, but what you have to understand is people might say that, but in my experience, nobody votes for the vice president. At the end of the day, people are voting for who's at the top of the ticket. However, several of people I know are saying, well, you don't know, that's not necessarily the case this year. We could live with Joe Biden, but we're afraid that we might end up getting Kamala Harris. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that dovetails in a little bit into what you know Peggy Noonan's piece is. All right. What I would like to discuss with you is, do the vice presidents matter? Are you considering your vote? based on who the vice president is, does the fact that, I I don't know, the word that Peggy Noonan uses is is giddy, Um, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it an inaccurate thing? Does anybody care about who the vice presidential candidate will be? Again, I know some people that I think that is going to, at the end of the day, ultimately be the deciding factor. Typically, that's not how it works out. But I did nothing about 2020 is typical. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. But one of our texters makes a, an interesting historical point, and I always want to just give shout-outs to historical memory, because I thought the same thing yesterday. There was, a, there was at least one point in the debate where Joe Biden is staring at his wristwatch. And, and again, for those, and, and whether it's a big deal or not, I, I don't know, but it was interesting. If you remember back, or, and you trust me on this if, if you're not old enough, 1992, for the first President Bush, George H.W. Bush, running for reelection. He was the vice president of Reagan, elected on his own right in 1988. He's running in 1992. He's at a debate with Bill Clinton, who went on to win, and Ross Perot, who was the third-party candidate. And there is a moment in the debate where the camera captures President Bush looking down at his watch. And it was, that was that was the story for day after day. Oh, look, he's he's so disinterested. He's not paying attention. He's, he's just checking the time. It was an interesting thing to see Joe Biden do that. And again, I, I'm, I'm not saying that's a definitive thing. But if that I just remember the big deal the media made out of that back in 1992. And I, I've seen very, very few references to it, but I did think of it, and one of the texters mentioned it. Okay, 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does it matter who the vice presidential candidate is? Let's start with Mike in Mayville. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? I think it does matter. Um as I was telling your screener, um, I really probably didn't pay much attention to the vice president before. Um, I've been voting since 84, and uh, I do remember feeling very comfortable talking just recently, talking about George H.W., uh, very comfortable with him being vice president. Not that I had anything against Jolene Ferraro, but, you know, he had been the vice president for four years, and I just felt very comfortable with him as the vice president. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward to now, I never thought about it. In, in the in between elections, but I am not comfortable at all with Kamala Harris. The thought of her being president—I mean, I've thought about that. I mean, I think it'd be horrible for many reasons. Um, you know, that columnist talked about her frivolousness, and um, but I think she's also very radical, mm-hmm. and I think she has a radical agenda. She leans much further left than Biden, and I think it would be a disaster if she was 
president. Okay, well, it's, you know, I think it's, you know, it is interesting because, like I say, that's that is a factor. I, I I know people who lean Republican, who I think because they perceive Joe Biden to be moderate, and and again, I don't, I don't want to argue the merits of that assessment. They perceive Joe Biden to be moderate, and they're put off by a lot of the things surrounding Donald Trump. They might be inclined to vote for Biden, but the thing they keep coming back to is. All right, you know, if something if something were ever to happen and, you know, Vice President Harris ends up taking over, is that who you want to have running the country? Is that the person you want to have one heartbeat away from the being the leader of the free world? Now, I understand some people just dismiss that as being, oh, that that's just that's just sexist. That's the only reason people say that is because she's a woman. Well, I don't know. I think a lot of people do have some legitimate objections and concerns about is she radical and is this a year where it is the vice president perhaps matters. Now, somebody says, Jeff, you don't really think that anybody cares about you know voting for vice president, do you? Well, in most years, they don't. In, in most years, they don't. I'm just saying that some people I'm talking to this year, you know, do. Jeff, um, both of the men are in their 70s. Vice president does matter. By the way, I'm a female voter. I am going to support um, Senator Harris. All right, 855-616-1620. Uh, let's talk to Patty in Waukesha. Hi, Patty. Hi. Um, good to talk with you. Um, I, When I found out it was Harris who was going to be the vice, pre- uh, vice president on the ticket, I got very worried. And I don't agree with her. She's way too left. And also I worry that Biden, because of just watching him a couple of times, I just wonder how healthy he truly is. And so that was my vote, why I did not vote for them. Oh, really? So it was questioned. So in this particular case, in all honesty, the, the vice presidential candidate did matter to you. Yes, it did. And I'm a female. I don't I wish President Trump at times would have a filter on. And um, a lot of times, because I'm a mother and a grandmother, I really wish somebody would say no. But he just, you know, so it ended up vice president. I do like um, our current vice president. I think he has handled himself very well with the um, virus, the so-called virus that we have. But I'm just afraid. If Biden gets in, something happens to him, she gets in, I'm, she's going to take us down a bad path. Well, th- thanks for call, Patty. And, and I, I will say that that, that, that concern, I, I, I'm hearing from, and, and that's why I wanted to be really, really clear, I, I understand that there's, this, this, there's a tendency, oh, that's just, that's just sexist. That, and that's why, I, I mean, I started off this conversation by referring to the, the Peggy Noonan column, and, and it is a conversation that I am having with female friends of mine, particularly female friends of mine who lean Republican, but were considering switching over, but it's one of the factors that um, they're they're operating with. Jeff, I am concerned with the vice presidential hair candidates, and Senator Harris um, scares me. Um, well, I, I don't. That might be a strong word, but that's it. Jeff, I do think the vice president matters. I believe it was probably why John McCain lost when he chose Sarah Palin. Well, I, I, 
The the Sarah Palin choice, I think, certainly didn't work out for John McCain. In in fairness, I I think if you think back on that that 2008 election, um, it it was a wave election. I'm not sure that there's anything that John McCain could have done to have beaten Barack Obama in 2008. But I, I think, in retrospect, the choice of Palin... And her implosion on the campaign trail did not help. Um, Jeff, oh, the vice president uh, does matter this term. I think uh, Senator Harris is very, very liberal. Um, Jeff, the vice president absolutely matters. Uh, Pence gave Trump political credibility, but I don't think Harris was even on that that list. Um, we get interesting. It's interesting assessment, Jeff. It does matter this year. I would want not want to see Harris running the country, Jeff. Um, yes, I have been and continue to consider the vice presidential candidates. We have two elderly presidential candidates and COVID. Very important consideration, as I believe there is the potential of a vice president becoming president and might be higher than average, and that is from. One of our listeners um, named Marie. So again, it's the the female perspective on this. I, it's going to be interesting to play out because again, historically, it doesn't matter. Historically, people you know get all charged up about it one way or the other, but you vote for the top of the ticket. In a close election, at least in a close choice, I think that this year, maybe more than any other year. That is going to play a, a role. Let's talk to um, Tom in Sun Prairie. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Uh, Jeff, I agree with I Can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, good. Uh, Jeff, I agree with just about all what your listeners are saying. Uh, we're in our upper 70s, my wife and I. We already voted. But it was interesting because we could have voted for either candidate. We went back and forth. We talked about this for weeks, which, one, which way to go. The, last, the day just before we voted, our determination was made on the vice president. And who would be the vice president of either one? And we just could not go for Harris. Uh, we don't like her cavalierness. She seems to laugh a lot, her smugness. And, you know, we thought if she's going to run the country, we, we got to go the other way and stick with stick with the president. So it did have a lot to do with our Interesting. Our no, th- thanks for the call, Tom. And I, I, I have to tell you, in all honesty, I... I, I have not been focusing a lot on the vice presidential candidates. I, I watched the, the vice presidential debate. What it, what it really inspired me to start thinking about this over the last few days is, is conversations I am having with people in my circle where it, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons why, without making a prediction, it's one of the reasons why I think this election is going to be closer than, than some things indicate. And it's because I, I do believe that there's Republican voters that are going to come home. I'm not saying all of them, but by come home, I, I mean at the end of the day, maybe they've been expressing the fact that they're undecided, etc. But for a variety of reasons, and I do think that Harris on the ticket is is one of them. I, I think you're going to see Republican voters, including some of the suburban women who have issues with President Trump. And, you know, you heard some of that expressed over the last few minutes. I, I think... I think the vice presidential candidates, maybe in more so this year than any other year, is going to drive some people. Now, is that going to be enough to change an election? No, probably not. But I think it's definitely a factor that people are considering as as they make up that final decision as to how they're going to vote. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One final thought on on the uh, Peggy Noonan column that I tweeted out. And again, if you want to see it, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. And it's something I do feel strongly about. Look, I, I, I don't know how the election is going to turn out in 10 days from now or 12 days from now or whatever. But, but here, I, I think... It's always important to be future looking. Now, I have been around politics and covering elections and talking about elections for lots and lots of elections. And one of the things that happens is you will have wave elections, you know, um, wave elections where, you know, one party just gets absolutely they get their clocks get cleaned for a variety of of reasons. You know, the Democrats absolutely cleaned Republicans clocks in um, 74, for example, in the, the, the Watergate scandal sort of years. You've had Republican waves. You've had Democrat waves. Um, let's see, a, you know, a, a Democrat wave that would have been 2008, for example. Um, after eight years of President Bush. I think people were ready for a change. And and so you you saw Democrats win pretty much everything. You have had Republican waves as well. And you had a wave election with um, when President Obama was the president in um, 2014, for example. So you had these different waves. It's interesting because one of the things that Peggy Noonan writes about is says that the best thing in the world, if Joe Biden wins as president, best thing in the world that would happen to him is if the Republicans retain control of the Senate. Because what's going to happen is if the Democrats take control of the Senate, you've got Nancy Pelosi in the House and you've got a Democrat president. There is just going to be a a steamroller of pressure for all these left wing ideas that are going to come out and, and be pushed through. And I think the thinking, look, I firmly believe that we are essentially a center-right country. And I I don't think that dynamic has changed. But the point being, if you have, all right, just all these sort of whacked-out, crazy left-wing things, and President Biden, even if he is at his heart a moderate, he's going to have trouble restraining, I think, the left-wing of the party. What you're looking at in two years from now is you are looking at a potential wave the other way around. Now, if, in fact, it plays out that this is a wave election, I guarantee you a day or two after the election, if you read the New York Times or you read the Washington Post or you read some of the other mainstream media things and you listen to some of the commentators on NBC or ABC or CBS, you're going to hear all this conversation about, oh, this is the end of the Republican Party. I'm here to tell you, no, I I don't think so. What you're going to see is, again, the pendulum swing back and forth in politics, and, and sometimes people tend to forget that. All right. Interesting text, which uh, leads into something that I want to talk about next. You know, in the last segment of the show, we were discussing whether or not people actually vote for the vice presidential candidate. I want to talk about people who decide not to vote for either the Republican or the Democrat candidate. Here's the deal. Jeff, if you aren't voting for Biden because of Harris, you weren't actually going to ever vote for Biden. That's a cop out. Stop kidding yourself. Vote for the libertarian. Vote for the libertarian. Now, I know that there are people out there who are unsatisfied with the choices. You you don't like Joe Biden. You don't like Donald Trump. You wish you had another alternative. So 
in an effort to, I don't know, express your dissatisfaction, you, you can go out and you can vote for, for a Jill Stein who's going to be on the ballot, or you can write in your, your father-in-law's name on the ballot, or you, you can do those types of things. You can go out and you can express your opinion and your distaste for the choices that you've been given by the Republican and Democrats. Um, but, but at the end of the day, if you do that, if you vote for a third party candidate, if you write somebody in, the, the reality is, you're, you are, in my opinion, you are wasting your vote. Your candidate is not going to win. If you vote for the Green Party candidate or you vote for Kanye West, Kanye West if he's on the ballot or whatever, you know, anybody other than Donald Trump or Joe Biden has no chance of winning at all. That That's just the reality. And nobody goes back. I mean, history is written by winners. Nobody's going to go back and say, gee, um, we, look look at this. Jill Stein, the Libertarian Party candidate, got 2% of, of the vote. Nobody's going to pay any attention to that. It, it's not going to give the Libertarian Party candidate a seat at the table. I mean, in, in my lifetime, again, you had Ross Perot, who, who mounted a strong challenge um, as a third-party candidate, and he didn't come close to winning any of the states. All he did, in my opinion, was he probably siphoned enough votes away from the first President Bush to to allow Bill Clinton to win. But but as far as changing policy, it's not like Ross Perot had a seat at the table. It's not like the people that voted for Perot suddenly that they saw their policies being implemented. So I want to have an honest discussion about this. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand being dissatisfied with the two major party candidates. But what I don't understand is if you're going to take the trouble to vote, what do you accomplish by voting for somebody other than one of those two candidates? By not making a choice between one of the two people who realistically have a chance to win. It seems to me you are effectively throwing your vote away. Now, it's your vote. You get to do what you want with it. You don't have to go out and vote if you don't want to. But if you're going to vote, what is the purpose of voting for someone who will not win and will not change policy? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's have a conversation. If you're thinking of voting for a third-party candidate or writing in somebody's name or something like that, I have a legitimate question, and that is why, and what do you think you're going to accomplish? Again, it's your vote. You get to do what you want with it. I just don't understand why you would be making that choice. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, when I voted for Gary Johnson a few years ago, I later felt like I built a trap door in, in a rowboat. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... I, I, look, I, I'm not telling you that you, know, you don't... Of course, you have a right to vote for whoever you want. I understand that. But if it's anybody other than Trump or Biden, that candidate's not going to win. That That's just the, the reality of it. And... They're not going to influence policy at all. So don't you want a seat at the table unless you legitimately just, I guess, can't stand either one um, and you just want to make a statement. But what is that statement? All right. Let's start with Owen in Wauwatosa. Owen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, A lot of great points that you brought up. Um, I've heard that I'm wasting my vote by going with uh, Dr. Joe Jorgensen and uh, Spike Cohen this round. And 
it's, it's exactly what you brought up. I have zero, uh, you know, zero taste for, for either candidate. And I would not vote if, you know, I didn't have this option. I, to me, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I don't think we win in either situation. And I finally have somebody who I believe in. And I think that my, my vote as, you know, is my voice. And if I, you know, throw that out and say I'm voting for somebody who I don't believe in, that's really wasting my vote. And that's how I see it. Does it does it trouble you that the that that the candidate you're going to vote for has in the real world absolutely no chance of of winning? So it, it's it's going to be an asterisk at, at the bottom of a ballot somewhere. Uh, th- does that bother you at all? Not really. Okay. It's actually, it inspires hope for you know in me for the future. There's been a lot of a lot of support. Um, I'm, I'm a new supporter. I'm not. I don't affiliate myself with any particular mm-hmm. party, but you know, it, it's nice to see that you know the Libertarian Party is getting more and more visibility. Um, I know the media is doing a great job of shutting them out, but it, it's healthy to have the conversation and understand that that there are more options and. Who knows what this might grow into? It might fizzle out and die, but I don't think that's yeah. I don't think that's right to just completely disregard it and not at least give it the effort. Okay, well, I, oh, and I, I appreciate that, and that's true. I, I will I will say this: I've been okay. The first presidential race that I, I vividly remember when I was um, still preteen, but I, I was always a political junkie, was 1968. Richard Nixon, Hubert Humphrey. And George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, was running as an independent. And um, Wallace didn't win any states, but he 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 arguably siphoned enough Democrat votes away from Hubert Humphrey to to swing the election to to Nixon, perhaps. And, and so I've, I've been hearing this since 1968. Then, which is you know 50 plus years. Well, you know you're going to have this third party movement or that third party movement, and it, it's it's never happened. Now again, you've had situations where you know, maybe you've had a third party candidate that's pulled enough votes to act as a spoiler. Maybe Ralph Nader in two thousand. Maybe you know Ross Perot in nineteen ninety two. But but other than acting as a spoiler, it, it's never blossomed into anything beyond that. And in an election like this, you, you don't. You you don't have a Ross Perot who's pouring millions of dollars into his own campaign, and and so I understand you're trying to make a statement. You know, I but nobody's nobody's listening. Ross Perot got X percentage of the vote. Bill Clinton didn't invite Ross Perot to you know to be in the the the, the room. Ross Perot and his supporters didn't get to make any sort of decisions because they got whatever percentage of the vote popular vote they ended up getting. It Bill Clinton won, and history, like I say, is written by the winners. Let's talk to Chris and Racine. Hi, Chris. You're on WTMJ. Oh, hi. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Um, I voted Libertarian specifically um, because I don't think it's throwing my vote away. Okay, tell me why. Uh, I can't support. I can't support either person. I actually did not vote for Biden because of Kamala Harris. Okay. And um, I've got to be able to send a message somehow. And if my way of doing that is saying to the fringe that vote uh, and run both sides of the party, enough's enough. And if enough people do it, 
they'll go back to being normal, hopefully. Well, but the the, the problem is you, you and and again, I you, you vote however you want. I mean, but I, I just but you say you, you know you want to send a message, and I guess I'm wondering is is anybody listening to to that? I mean, it's it's it, you think it's gonna do you think it's gonna change policy because like a, a Jill Stein gets you know two percent of of the popular vote? I, do you think that you're going to have people that say, okay, now we we can't do this because you know we had this this sort of fringe like a two percent sort of vote? I guess. I, I I understand the desire to kind of send a message, but I'm just not sure anybody listens if there's a small number of people who do it. Well, hopefully more people will start to do it. And the other thing is, is anyone listening if I hold my nose and vote for one of those two? Well, it's not changing when you vote for one of them. Well, except you're, you're making you're at least saying, look, I'm not happy with either one of these choices, but I recognize the reality that one of these two is going to be the next president. So I want to I want to make my voice heard in saying which one of the two realistic choices are the best. See, and to me, that's just saying the status quo is OK and it's not. It can't be anymore. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Again, I, I just, I, my, my question was, why would you do it? And, and she gave me her reason for doing that. And, I, and again, I, again, I appreciate it. To me, I, I go back to this notion that I understand wanting to send a message, but if if nobody's listening, and I, again, I, I've seen these, these third-party movements, and I, I've seen the conversation about it, and you've seen some that have had at least a little bit of success. In 2020, the, it, it's going to be a fringe Nobody's going to care, and it's not going to change politics for 2022 or 2024 or 2028, is it? Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's go to Mike in Madison. Mike, you're in WTMJ. Yeah, I can say that um, four years ago, I didn't like either party, and I voted for actually the Green Party, which turned out to be a really bad idea in hindsight. But um, the reason I did was a little bit different, and, and I have a lot of uh, I shared feelings for what the last two callers said. Um, the reason I did was that my kids were just young enough starting to wonder about politics, learning in school, and I did not want to have to explain to them who I voted for because from them it would, you know, it's, it's I'd have to explain why I voted for one or the other, and I did not believe in either party then or either candidate. Everything you're saying, though, I mean, I, it makes total sense, and it's my my view of it has completely evolved now to where I'm certainly going to be voting for one of the parties, uh, yeah. one of the main parties this time. But, you know, four years ago, it was really a family decision. I, I did not like the candidate, and, and that was pretty much it. I wanted the kids to know that voting is important, but that, um, you know, that this is where it's at for our family. Right. No, and I appreciate that. And again, and I, and I understand, and, and there's the whole concept of, of principle, and you get to decide. Everybody gets to decide how they're going to cast their vote. And I, I'm just saying that I guess the question becomes, in an election that might be close. Now, I, I don't know how close this is going to be at the end of the day. But in an election, let us assume that Wisconsin is in play like Wisconsin was in play four years ago. A- at that point in time, if we accept the premise that it's going to be either Joe Biden or Donald Trump that wins. And and if you want to argue with that, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to find common ground. So by, by saying, OK, well, I, I don't like either one of them, so I'm going to vote for a third party in an election that might, you know, where, where maybe your vote or a couple hundred people 
um, who, who think like you, that maybe could swing an election one way or the other by making that decision to vote for somebody other than one of those two candidates might make you feel good. But at the same time, you, you got to understand you're, you're taking yourself out of play. You, you are not contributing to the ultimate decision as to who's going to win. Um, Jeff, I did this for the first, this is a text. I did this for the first time in the last election. I honestly couldn't decide who would be worse for our country. So it didn't much matter to me who was elected. My thought process was that by writing in a candidate, I was sending a small message to both parties that they had nothing to offer me. Imagine if 20% of the voting population did this, people would wake up. Okay, but I get it. But 20% of the voting population isn't going to do that. That That's just, that's the reality of this. And again, I've, I've been around long enough. I've heard all these conversations about, oh, this is the year we're going to see a third party. And even when you've seen... Even when you've seen a Ross Perot who put a whole bunch of his his money in and ran this kind of maverick campaign, that ultimately ended up going nowhere. Be a big picture. Did it help influence? Maybe Bill Clinton wins instead of uh, George Bush. You know, maybe maybe it acted as a spoiler. But in a year like this, I guess again, I just don't see it. I, go out, vote. Nobody's arguing with that. It's your civic duty, and it is certainly your right. I'm just saying, I just think at some point in time, you got to make a decision. Um, you you got to stand up and you got to say, okay, I'm going to cast a vote one way or the other, because otherwise I'm taking myself out of the game. Now, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I'm a political junkie, and I think it, it's fun to go to campaign rallies if you're a political junkie. And if you have an opportunity, regardless of whether Regardless of whether you are of the party of a president, if you have an opportunity to see a president in person, I don't care who that president is, it's a very cool experience, and my advice is you should do it. Big, well, I mean, there's going to be a Trump rally tomorrow. It's at the Waukesha Airport. It's at 7 o'clock at night. Doors open at, at 4. It's going to be, it's outdoors, so it's going to be in the, the mid to upper 30s. I'm curious if you're, if people are planning to go and what their motivation is. Let's start with, uh, let's see, Doug in Brookfield. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, I, I went to the Janesville rally last week. And I'm not a Trump or a Biden supporter. I'm a true independent. And I went kind of just what you were saying. It was kind of a once in a lifetime to really experience what this Trump phenomenon is. And I was amazed at how fervent his supporters are. I've seen it a hundred times on TV, but until you're there and experience it, it is really uh, something that I don't think uh, you'll see again in your lifetime. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it is interesting to me because one of the things I, I hear from some folks who, who don't believe the polls and the numbers, they say, no, Jeff, you don't you don't understand the the devotion and the rabidness of these people who, you know, show up at, at the different rallies and things like that. And they're they're going to run through brick walls to vote for President Trump. And, and they're not being picked up by the polls. At least that's the argument. And so that that's kind of what you saw with the people that were in Janesville, huh? Oh, most definitely. And it was, it was super crowded. I stood for, ended up being like five hours. Um, so to dedicate your time, and again, I only, I'm not a Trump person, but I was probably, uh, myself and my son were probably the only two non-Trump people there. And uh, it was, it was absolutely amazing to see what, what kind of uh, loyalty these people have. Yeah, it, interesting. Would you, um, would, would you go back again, or is, was once enough? 
No, yeah, I just wanted to experience it. I'm, since I'm not really a Trump person, I would I wouldn't go again. But if, if there's political junkies out there, uh, I would recommend they go just to experience it. It is truly unbelievable. Um, thanks for call. I appreciate it. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's and like I say, that, I was I was telling a story the other day. Um, o- over my lifetime, I have been. It's been my privilege to meet a number of presidents. I've been really fortunate that way, you know, starting with President Reagan. And, um, you know, and, and it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter, again, whether it's whether it's Bill Clinton or who I had all sorts of issues with. If you get a, if you get a chance to meet the president, you, you should do it. You, 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 sh- you should do it. It's a great opportunity. Um, I, I do think it's interesting, this appeal that President Trump has. And one of the questions that I have is if the election doesn't go his way, and I'm saying if, you know, 10 days from now or 11 days from now, my question is going to be, does, does Trump continue to be a force in politics or does he kind of step back and uh, again just you know concentrate on working on his golf game and and things like that you know what what's the next act is there another act and and where does the republican party go moving forward but those are all questions for another day if he ends up losing 8556161620 mike in Pewaukee. hi mike you're in wtmj hi Jeff. thank you for taking my call yes sir what do you uh, think so here's, a, here's a disclaimer i'm a hardcore trump fan is to support him. I feel like he has not gotten a fair shake from the media or the press or any of the news channels over the last four years. So I feel that the least I can do is to go out there and stand in the pouring rain if it's pouring. It's going to be nice tonight. Kind of yeah. Perfect. And just kind of support him because it's the little thing that I can do to let him know that I appreciate everything that he's done for me. So that's why I'll be there. Have you been to one before? Um, kind of. I went to the one in Oshkosh, and I couldn't find out how to get in, so I sat two miles across the airport field looking through binoculars okay. in a cemetery by the field in Oshkosh. Okay. So, yes or no. I, I, I'm, one of the things I'm curious about is, like at a rally like the one tomorrow, how many attendees will be first-time attendees versus how many people, have, it'll be like their second or third time, or how many people kind of like follow it around, sort of like the Grateful Dead, you know, and, and, and have attended yeah, all right, sorts of other much, ones. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, um, I, I, I'll be curious, too. Yeah, Thank, thanks for calling. I, I appreciate it. Thanks, and I get. I, I do. I do wonder about that because it's like okay, like our first caller says, hey, I, I, I wanted to experience it. I wanted to see what this was was like. So you know, I go out and I stand there for five hours, even though I'm not necessarily a Trump supporter, but I wanted to just experience this, which I understand. Versus the people that are like wrapped up in the campaign versus the, the people that are, and I'm, I'm going to say groupies. I don't mean that in a bad way, but you know, the, the people, the hardcore loyalists who, you know, say, okay, I'm, I live in the Midwest and I'm going to drive, you know, across three States. I, I live in Indiana and, and gee, president Trump's going to be appearing in, you know, wherever he's going to be in Iowa. I'm going to drive to Iowa. Then he's going to be in Milwaukee. So I'm going to drive to Milwaukee. I, I, I wonder how many there are there. I have no doubt, though, it is going to be a huge and enthusiastic turnout. And that may be, and I say maybe, one of the things that some of the political scientists aren't picking up because Joe Biden doesn't have rallies. And and I understand it, it's the perception, I think, in the Biden campaign is that, that they're ahead, they're way ahead. 
They don't need to go out and do these things. And, of course, you have the the overlay, the, the issue that we're in the middle of a pandemic. So you have an excuse for not not doing that. So there, there's really no met way to measure. A lot of times you can measure electoral enthusiasm by in the last week or two of a campaign that the respective crowds that that people are are drawing well this is it's a completely different year so we we don't know that but my guess is big turnout in in wisconsin in waukesha on saturday night a matter of fact i'll be surprised if there's not a huge turnout back with more in just a minute okay now i have a text here that i could not disagree with more um, we were talking, you know, what what's the future going to be if President Trump loses, not making that prediction. But if he loses, you know, does he try to continue to be a political player or do you do something else? But somebody texts me. Here's the deal. Jordan and says, if Trump loses, he will be the next Rush Limbaugh, no doubt. Now, do you agree with that? Of course not. No. Oh, right. Of course not. No. And, and here here is why. First of all, first of all, it, now, is it possible that that President Trump might try to monetize the politics of it and might you see a Trump TV or a Trump Internet thing started? That's entirely possible. But to, for anybody, here, here's the big reason. Doing doing a three-hour daily talk show, whether it's syndicated nationally or local, it's hard work. I mean, it, it and I understand people just think you just kind of sit down and you open up the microphone. No, it's that's not how it works. My wife always refers to it as doing your homework. Oh, we got to leave early. Just got to do his homework and things like that. It, it's hard work. Um, I, I just might President Trump again, if he loses, end up being again the the figurehead for a a conservative, you know, internet site or something like that. Absolutely, three hours, two hours a day. It, it it's why. It's why places like Air America failed. It, it's not just the fact that there wasn't a market for like liberal talk radio. It was the fact that they went out to get these personalities. And you had, you had, remember Al Franken, you know, in post Saturday Night Live and before, you know, he flamed out of the U.S. Senate. Al Franken was one of the hosts and Janine Garofalo, you know, the comedians and stuff. They, they, they couldn't sustain it day after day. You know, they, they, they wanted to do it. They thought it was going to be cool, but it ended up being too much work. Hard work, and they decide oh, this isn't any this isn't any fun. So I I doubt I I think you know could you see a a if they can figure out a way to monetize it could you see a Trump TV network Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. But uh, three hours a day radio TV I just I, I I just I would be very very surprised with that. All right, let us switch gears from national politics. Um, as somebody who has been very critical uh, of Governor Tony Evers, and particularly his, his sort of one-size-fits-all COVID-19 response. You know, the, the way you now analyze it is if, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a, a nail. I have argued that rather than taking a one-size-fits-all approach to dealing with COVID across the state, here, we're, we're going to close everything down or we're going to limit everything in the state to, you know, every, every small business can only have 25% capacity. Every restaurant can only have 25% capacity. I have argued that makes no sense. What 
you need to do, given the real-world economic impact that these decisions have, is you need to target things locally. You need to be surgical. And you need, this is my big beef during the whole safer at home thing, the failure to recognize that, you know, what's going on in the city of Milwaukee, for example, might be different than what's going on in Minocqua, which might be different than what's going on in La Crosse. And, and what we need to do is we need to provide the resources to those, those local agencies to figure out, you know, let, let's tailor a response. Maybe COVID-19 isn't a big deal in, you know, th- this particular part of the state. You know, maybe what we need is we, we need more contact tracing or we need more, you know, or we need more testing or, or whatever. And maybe in a particular area, you can say, look, we, we've just had an explosion of COVID and we believe it comes largely from bars and restaurants. Now, as I've said before, I think bars and restaurants, as a general rule, are getting scapegoated for this. And they're being made the scapegoats. But but I acknowledge, you know, maybe in certain areas you can trace you can trace it back and say, look, this we believe that there is a direct causation between bars and restaurants opening up and the spike in numbers. If you believe that's the case in Brown County, for example, I think Brown County authorities should have the ability to do what they need to do. And maybe that's saying, okay, we're going to close restaurants and bars at 10 o'clock at night. That's what they're doing in Chicago now. They're imposing that time limit. Maybe it's limit the capacity. But to me, a statewide mandate doesn't take into account the fact that we have very, very different needs all across the state. Now, having said that, when local governments do act, I I think they have every right to then insist that their rules be enforced. For example, the city of Milwaukee has has told the governor to pound sand. You know, the governor has issued these orders that are essentially unenforceable, saying, okay, I I want bars and restaurants um, to operate at 25% capacity, which is essentially a death knell. That's like closing down. You, You can't do that. The city of Milwaukee, for months, has had more stringent rules in place and they've said okay if you if you want to open up here's the these we have these different metrics that you have to meet and you have to do these different things and you know if you present this plan and you follow the plan well then you you can be open and they've taken the position the city has that 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 makes a lot more sense and in many respects that's more restrictive and you know what i i support that i've given as much as it pains me to say this mark the tape i've given the city of milwaukee in general and tom barrett in particular given them credit for that okay so here's the flip side it turns out that some of the places that have submitted these plans to be allowed to open to full capacity, etc., they're not following through on the things that they promised to follow through on. They're not following the plan. And as a result, some of these places are now starting to get fined. There's an Irish pub on Juneau. Apparently, it was the second Milwaukee business to be fined um, for not following the, the plan that they submitted. And Tom Barrett saying yesterday, he says, look, we're seven months into this. We think people are either with the program or they're not with the program. The education period is essentially over. So now if you're not doing what you've promised to do, we're going to start issuing fines. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no problem with this. I, I mean, I, I, I am a big believer in local control. 
And in the case of the city of Milwaukee, they've developed a plan. They've said, look, this is what you have to do to reopen. Now, maybe that plan is overly restrictive. I don't even want to debate that. But if you're a bar, if you're a restaurant, and the alternative to being closed is, okay, we're going to take the time, we're going to invest the money, we're going to put together this plan, I think the city has every right to demand that that plan be enforced. And if you're not going to follow the plan, I'm not sympathetic if you end up getting fined. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That is effectively, in my mind, it's the essence of local control. You let the local municipality decide what works best for the needs of the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County or, or whatever. And especially if they decide, all right, we're going to we're going to allow this to open up. We recognize that you you can't make a living if it's only 25 percent occupancy. So fine, we're going to allow you to open fully. But, you know, you need to do this, that or the other. And you say, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that. I'm going to submit it. Well, then I think they have every right to expect that you're going to do this, that or the other. And if you don't, I think you should expect consequences. 855-616-1620. We continue the conversation in a moment. Look, some people think that government has absolutely no role in trying to play a public health role and try to control COVID-19. I I don't buy that. But I I think what one of our lessons is, is that this one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work, doesn't make any sense, and causes huge unnecessary economic impact. What you need to do is you need to give the municipalities, localities, the ability, the authority, and the resources to try to figure out how they are going to deal with the unique situation specific to their area. City of Milwaukee, they've come up with this plan. If you want to open restaurants or bars, you've got to jump through all these different hoops. You've got to present plans. You've got to follow through. I think that's reasonable. And if the businesses that have agreed to do that aren't following through, I think they should expect to be fine. I'm not going to be sorry about that. It's the price you pay for this balancing of trying to, number one, recognize we're living in a pandemic and will be probably until we get a vaccine that's wisely distributed. And secondly, the fact that you just cannot shut down the economy. You can't put people out of work. People aren't going to, as a general rule, just be willing to stay at home in in their basements. That's just not going to happen. You have to have the balance. And if the city of Milwaukee has rules, you got to follow those rules, period. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so Melissa, I know what you think, but you, you might want to be careful. So we were talking off the air, and, uh, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And, and tomorrow you yes. are participating in, what is it called? It's called a Ragnar, Ragnar. race. Yeah, it's a, it's a running race. This one's virtual. You have a large team. It goes for 12 hours. You pick a couple of hours you want to do, and you walk or run it. Right. And then so then you enter your like how far you walked yeah, or ran. You, you look and, at your Fitbit. Okay. Everyone has their Fitbits going. Right. Yeah. OK. So, yeah, so you said it was called a Ragnar. A Ragnar. And yes. I, I was I was curious as to what that means. Now, now, I, the one thing I'm familiar, I grew up like reading Thor comic books yes, and stuff, yes, and I, I'm familiar with the Norse term Ragnarok, which 
is is probably where that that comes from um, originally in Norse mythology, Ragnarok is a series of events, including a great battle, foretold to lead to the death of a number of great figures, including <laughs> the gods Odin, Thor, Loki, etc. Natural disasters and the submersion of the world in water. Oh, well. After these events, the world will resurface anew and fertile. The surviving and returning gods will meet, and the world will be repopulated by two human <laughs> survivors. Ragnarok is an important event in Norse mythology and has been the subject of many scholar, much scholarly, scholarly discourse. Well, that is Ragnarok. Ragnar, right. what I have here is a masculine Germanic name. Um, it's Norse for a council or a an army. So it's like an army of people. Getting ready but, for the big well, battle, absolutely. Not necessarily yeah. that big battle, but <laughs> that's kind of scary now. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying there. Thanks, I mean, Jeff. you don't know why. Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping you're. If if that's the case, I believe me. I am hoping that you are one of the two human survivors well, that pulls through all this. Hopefully, no apocalypse will happen. <laughs> right, and if it does, we know who to blame. It's oh, Melissa. Parti- right. I'm, I'm looking at the. This, you know, Ragnar, and it obviously comes from that term. Yes, it, it obviously right. comes from that term. Um, and then once you do it, you become a Ragnarian, I guess. Oh, yes, uh, yes. That, well. Not quite as detrimental as the Norse version or the Vikings version. Um, it's a little different. I'm probably going to be watching football. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're going to be running to save the world and, and getting ready for the big battle. I'm going to probably go. watch in football. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I am pulling for you. All right. Let's switch gears in the two o'clock hour of the program. Um, During the pandemic, it is no secret that lots and lots of people lost their jobs. Lots and lots of businesses closed. And what's frustrating is a lot of those businesses aren't going to reopen and a lot of jobs aren't coming back. Now, it's interesting to me because there is one category of job that, that not only did the people performing these jobs not lose their jobs, but the demand for those jobs has gone through the roof. In other words, they cannot find enough people to do what needs to be done. Okay, what am I talking about? Appliance repair people. Now, now here, big story in the Washington Post t- today. Um, there, one of the things that's happened, especially since the pandemic, is that people have been at home more and you're using more stuff at home. Well, okay, what what happens if your furnace goes out? What happens if your refrigerator goes out? What happens if the dishwasher stops working? You know, fill fill in the blank. All these different appliances, the air conditioner breaks down, etc. All these different appliances start to go out. Well, what happens? Well, what you need to do is you need to repair them, especially since in many cases because like uh, because like factories and stuff were shut down for a couple months during the, the pandemic, especially because new refrigerators might be hard to find, new dishwashers might be hard to find, you know, backlogs on all these different types of things. You know, I, I told the story on the radio a couple of weeks ago. We had a um, I. I our, our furnace was kind of reaching the furnace and air conditioner were sort of reaching the end of their useful life. And I just made the decision before one of them fizzles out on January 3rd and it's you know 15 degrees below zero. I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to replace them with a new state of the art furnace and air conditioner. And we did it. And I, it was interesting because I was talking to the guys that were installing it. I said, have you been busy? And they said, we have just we are completely and totally booked up. You know, we've been you know booked up and we're booking, you know, three or four weeks in, in advance. And part of the problem is, you know, 
getting getting the equipment to do the jobs, etc. And that's been the conversation I've had when I've had plumbers come out to the house or whatever. Everybody is is busy, very very busy. We decided the other day that um, my wife wanted a second refrigerator, one to put in the garage so we could have like overflow stuff. So we got to buy a refrigerator. And again, did, were we able to do it? Yes. Did they have some on the floor? Yes. But I'm asking the the guy that sells the appliances, how, how's business been? And he says, well, "Knock on wood, business has been absolutely tremendous." And part of that, I think, is again because. People are staying home. People are using things more. And, um, you know, when stuff goes wrong, they, they need to have it fixed. Well, anyhow, story in the Washington Post today. Ovens, dishwashers, and washing machines are breaking down like never before, but there's nobody there to fix them. And the story goes on to talk about how there was always this, this question when it comes to, you know, repair, you know, whether or not that was going to be a growth industry or or not. And one of the things that people in the industry were, were saying is that, look, this, as we move forward, we can't find young people, particular, we can't find people to come in and, and go through the different programs and, and learn how to do this stuff, uh, learn how to do the installations, learn how to fix the parts on the refrigerator or fix the dishwasher or things like that. And now that it's more difficult to find like replacement new products, it's become even more I- important to try to get people who will choose this as, as as a vocation. And the frustration, and the Washington Post story talks about this, is that the, the frustration is if if you work in this area, you know, and you have this aptitude and this skill, you, you can make, you know, decent money. I mean, here's what they say. Um, the average tech, the average tech, and these are people, you know, who can do the, the appliance repair that I'm talking about. Average sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year, and a top earner, whatever that would be, normally will easily clear six figures. But the problem is, even the places that that offer the instruction and stuff, they're only running at about sixty-five percent capacity because they're having at least prior to the pandemic they're having trouble attracting people into the industry okay our number 855-616-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line All right 60 given given what the labor market looks like and if you have somebody that has an aptitude for this stuff, and, and that's a, in my case, that's a big if. Look, I, I, I don't do electric work. I, I don't do plumbing because I found out early on, not only can't I fix the stuff, but I end up making it worse. But if you have somebody that has an aptitude for this, 60 to 70 grand a year with the possibility to make six figures by being able to do this repair work, that sounds like a really, a really good deal. So why is it? That we're having such trouble finding that is it that people don't want to work losing their hands is it that this doesn't sound like it's a glamour sort of job is it that people don't want to work that hard is it that it's fine sounds to be uninteresting you know we're, we're in a computer age why do you want to learn how to fix a, an oven or why do you want to learn how to fix a stove or a refrigerator or a dishwasher w- what's going on here why is there this disconnect in the job market? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. I 
should text out this this article. But it, it's just fascinating to me. One of the areas that they cannot find enough people to work in is in the area of appliance repair. And they're saying, look, as 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 appliances get smarter, you know, more parts, etc. There's going to be more demand than ever for people who can fix them. I mean, just just think of I'm thinking of our, our of our oven. You know, and it's and it's not. Like the old oven that just had a couple switches, you turn it on and it heats up. You know, now it's got all the timers, the fancy timers and the digital stuff and all these things that are going on. The same thing's true with microwaves. The same thing's true with refrigerators. And and they can't find people to work on them. Let's start with Jay in Northern Illinois. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, kind of in the words of Bill Clinton, I feel the pain. I've been working uh, for a civil engineering company for about 25 years, and uh, we do a lot of um, basically soil borings and a lot of uh, work-related stuff like that. But we have a hard time finding guys who just want to go out and do it. I mean, it pays good, and, you know, it's just the whole construction industry, too. I think everything suffers from it, All, Mm -hmm. all industries. It's hard to find quality people. What? Or not even quality people, but people who want to put their back into it. Right, and then and then um, show up more than you know, show up more than two or three days. I guess why do you think yeah, that is? I don't know. I mean, I was young once, and I had my you know and giggles and stuff. But you know, there comes a time where you have to accept. Re- I I don't know, accept reality and bear down and try to do a good job for somebody. But I don't see that quality. I I I don't know. Interesting. No, thanks. It's it is funny because I, I think of the like the, the people that come and, and I, I've used as a general rule. I, I've used the same sort of companies for a number of years, and so you you see the the same guys that are they're coming there. And at some point in time, you got to wonder, okay, is there this other generation that that's behind them? Because the truth is, furnaces are always going to need to be repaired, you know, and and refrigerators are going to need to be repaired, and stoves and ovens and and all these things. You're always going to have this demand for this that that's out there. Chris in Cedarburg, Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I, I believe that, first of all, that a lot of um, the youth of today uh, were not exposed to the trades in school when they took it out of, like, let's say, shop class, that type of thing, working with your hands, number one. So a lot don't even know if, if that's maybe even something that they would like to do because they haven't been exposed to it. And second, um, you know, they were also kind of railroaded into, okay, you got to get a degree, you got to go to a university, and that may have not been the cookie-cutter um, yeah. thing for a lot of, a lot of people, but everybody does have, like you said, a hot water heater or a, a stove or a right. dishwasher, and and you know that that small engine or small motor repair maintenance is is indefinite need right now. So if there's youth out there who I mean, that's just really a good direction to go in because there's not enough people that can do the job. Well, well right. Nobody and, out there well, and you don't have to worry. I mean, it's one of these jobs that, that is largely kind of recession-proof, and, and we've seen that. It was essential business, so the people who were doing those types of repairs, they kept working during the COVID stuff because refrigerators kept breaking down and air conditioners <laughs> kept breaking down. You, you have it, it. There's always going to be that demand that's there, and it sounds like there's this huge gap between you've got the people that have been doing this but not enough people behind those folks who are ready to come up and take over when when the guy who's 55 now decides to retire seven or eight years from now absolutely and the kids of today are teenagers of today they're really not exposed to any of that even they you know can barely do an oil change which you probably can't anyway you know what i'm saying so there's you're just not exposed to 
this, and it's really sad because it's such an opportunity out there to, I mean, it's not going to go away anytime soon. No, exactly. It's good money. No, right, it, it is, and and it's, thanks for the call, Chris, and it's it's that job security that, that's out there that I think, you know, that's got to be one of the things look moving forward. And I, and I bring this up because somebody asked me something about what I thought the world was going to look like two years from now I, the other day. And, and my response was, look, I, I don't know what the world's going to look like two months from now, what like what the world's going to look like two years from now. And I, I know that there's a, a lot of people whose lives and livelihoods have been interrupted. And I particularly feel bad for younger people i mean people who are who are, are just starting out i mean the, the kids who are are getting out of high school and they're trying to figure out okay what what are we going to do and the kids who are getting out of college and young people who are trying to you know people in their 20s who are trying to figure out okay what what are we going to do to make a living and and how are we going to survive with those things and and what's the industry what is this industry or that industry going to look like and and for so often you you go down the list of industries and you say okay well um, you know, we, we hope that industry is going to come back, but it's been shut down for the last six months and it might be shut down for another year. And the same thing about this industry or, or that industry. At the same time, you find some of these other things. And again, not everybody has the aptitude. I, I couldn't be, I couldn't be an appliance prepare person because I'm just not good at that. You got to know your limitations. I'm not good at that, but that's okay. There's other stuff that I'm good at, so I can make money doing the things that I need to do and I'm good at, and then I can pay other people money to do the things that I'm not good at, but I need. And that's clearly out there, you know, moving forward. Let's talk to Jim in Cedarburg. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. It, just after 32 years working in MTS and also growing up in Sheboygan, I can and living out here in Cedarburg, I can tell you the suburbs still. Some of the high schools have tech ed programs, but once you get into the city, they don't have the budgets for it. There's such a heavy emphasis on reading, writing, arithmetic. Mm-hmm. There really is very little left for family and consumer ed classes. Almost no tech ed classes anywhere anymore. Yeah. You know, for example, we would have kids that want to go into driver ed. Well, if they're at King, they ain't going into driver, I mean, not driver ed, into uh, auto mechanics. You're not going to be able to do that if you're at these other specialty schools. Right. If you're at Washington High School for computers, there is no tech ed program. So there's a massive market of high schools in Milwaukee that just don't have the opportunity to give kids the ability to wet their teeth and, you know, get used to uh, the right. mindset that, hey, we aren't all going to four-year colleges, which is too bad because that would be a huge market of kids. Well, it so is. There it, needs to be more of an emphasis of getting those kids in technical training. I, I agree. Don't you? Thanks. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've told this story before. I mean, I went to Nicolet High School in Glendale, and when I got out, this was in the 70s, they always, there was a huge push to get people to go to colleges. And and they always bragged about the college, and Nicolay was the only place that did this, but they always bragged about their college placement rate. But what they never told you was the college graduation rate. It, you know, and, and that's because a lot of people, and I look, there's nothing wrong with having an English degree, or I've, I've got a business degree in undergraduate, uh, but there, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But, you know, liberal arts education isn't necessarily for everybody. There, there's some people who have other aptitudes. Like I say, there's all sorts of stuff that I can't do. Um, but 
thankfully, I, there's things that I've been able to do over the course of my life to make enough money to pay other people when, oh, I okay, uh, you know, they're, they're, the roof needs to be repaired. Okay, well, you call somebody up and do, do that. But I, I think you're exactly right, Jim. You know, the, there's been this de-emphasis of trying to match skills with with people. And so, okay, everybody's got to go to college and get a four-year degree. No, they don't. I, I mean, they, they, they don't. You know, maybe if you've got people that have aptitudes, for example, that I don't have, you're better off channeling them to the things that they do well, also recognizing that you're going to be able to make a pretty good living at it. And if you know how to fix refrigerators and stoves and microwave ovens, you know, you, you have the chance to make, you know, six figures a year. Sounds like it's a pretty good gig to me. All right, let's take a break. Back with more in just a minute. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. This is the time of the week we put aside the heavy lifting. We stop worrying about who's going to be the next leader of the free world or how we're going to try to find light at the end of the pandemic tunnel. And we, we have a little bit of fun as we go into the weekend. It is Pop Culture Corner. Today, the category is Stand Up and Cheer. What does that mean? July 3rd, 1985, was the day that the original Back to the Future movie premiered. So Back to the Future turns 35 this year, July 3rd. I rem- Now, I actually thought that the second two movies, two and three, I didn't think they were necessarily that great. But I thought the original Back to the Future movie, you know, with Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, it just... I thought it was innovative. I, now, I understand that there were some, like, you, you had to kind of suspend your belief about some stuff. But I, I thought that the time travel movie, I thought it was tremendous. And I can remember seeing that movie in the theater. And when it ended, I can remember myself and lots of other people in the audience getting on our feet. We stood up and we cheered. It was that good a movie. Now, most of the movies I go to, that doesn't, that's not the reaction. You know, you kind of watch it and you say, you know, the movie ends and then people, maybe there's some a smattering of applause. Lots of times people just kind of quietly like walk out of, of the movie theater and you might talk about it. But I thought we'd have some fun today. The topic is stand up and cheer in honor of the 35th anniversary of the debut of the first Back to the Future. All right. The movie that makes you, at the end, just stand up and cheer. Think back again. You know, that, that movie, you see it, and, and maybe maybe you saw it in the theater, and you remember that. It was just, it, it ends, and it deserves you getting on your feet and, and you applauding. And that's not necessarily, it's not necessarily your favorite movie. It's not necessarily the best movie of all time. It's just that movie that makes you stand up and cheer. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like, for example, uh, the other day I watched Schindler's List on TV. Schindler's List is a tremendous movie, but it's about the Holocaust. You're not going to stand up and cheer at the end of that movie. It's a great movie, but it wouldn't fit into that category. But the movie that makes you stand up and cheer. 855-616-1620. Again, as I always say during these segments, my advice is, Call in quick because our phone lines tend to jam up and I want to get to as many calls as I can and don't overthink it. Sometimes people say, oh, that's the movie that popped into my mind. But then it's like, oh, maybe that will sound silly. No, 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 no. Go with your first instinct. 855-616-1620. 
the movie that makes you stand up or want to stand up and cheer when it's over. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the movie that at the end of it just makes you want to stand up and cheer. I bring this up because the original Back to the Future, when that movie ended, I can remember bringing it, standing in the movie theater, and then all of a sudden it starts to applaud, and then the cheers start to raise, and then people are on their feet applauding. It made you want to stand up and cheer. That's not an experience you have too often at the movies. All right, let's start with James on the north side. James, you're on WTMJ. How you doing there, Jeff? Hi, James. What do you think? Which one? Well, how about the Queen movie a couple years back? You could stand up for the whole the whole movie <laughs> there. Feel like you were, you feel like you're at Summerfest uh, with uh, rocking yep. to the music and stuff like that, and cheering all the way through the whole mo- whole uh, movie it, in that. Come on, it, no, that, I, there's no the 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 uh, the We Will Rock You movie. That was very very good, no question about it. Okay, let's try to see how many calls we can get to. Judy in Heartland. Judy, you're in WTMJ. It makes you stand up and cheer. Hi, it was the first and only movie in my experience, and it was Mamma Mia. Oh, Mamma Mia. I See, I was I was just, I was getting ready to do the ABBA stuff. I was going to kind of go right into that, but it's, were you singing along with some of those tunes as well? Well, the whole movie had you wanting to stand up, but you didn't dare until the end. <laughs> that, that was, that's a fun one. Thanks for the call. Okay. Let's see. Rocky. Yeah. The original Rocky. That was, that was one that did it. Jeff, there are several, but I'm going with Hoosiers. Just a great final game. Um, let's see. A couple people are, okay. We got, we got Hoosiers. The Strawsank Redemption. Yeah. When Andy, you know, Breaks out of prison and uh, takes care of it. That's a great movie as well. Jeff, it's got to be And Justice for All, starring Al Pacino. Um, it's I had to stand up and cheer for the ending courtroom scene. Yeah, that's probably a movie a lot of people haven't seen. It goes back for a number of years. A couple people are saying Rudy, you know, the, the, the walk-on at Notre Dame. That's got a lot. Okay, let's talk to, uh, let's see, Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Mine is the original Die Hard because I worked at a movie theater when that movie first came out, and I have fond memories of people in the theater getting up and cheering when <laughs> Family Matters guys shot the blonde terrorist. Oh, right at the yeah, at the, the surprise. No, thank, that's very you get you kind of got that that surprise thing. Oh, you think, oh my gosh, after all this, Bruce Willis is going to get it, and he doesn't. That's great. Here's a text: Dirty Dancing. I still clap every time I see it on TV. So what what's that? That kind of like like baby knows better or whatever. Mark in Menominee Falls. Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hey Jeff. Hi, fun Mark. topic. Uh, mine mine would definitely be Remember the Titans. Okay, that's the um, that that's the football movie, right? Yeah, that's the one feel good movie at Denzel Washington where you know they're overcut they're the underdogs, but they're also overcoming the racism racism of uh, other teams and stuff like that. Right. So. Right. Yeah, that's that's again. Thanks. It's funny how a lot of those sports movies, they're the ones that end up being that kind of feel good stuff. Okay, Um, Maria in West Allis. Maria, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Yeah, the movie that just popped into my mind was um, Pretty Woman. (laughs) I mean, the ending was so great, regardless of what the whole story was about, that it just made me jump up and applaud and cry and everything so you know i really appreciated that see you know it's it's funny you mentioned that maria because 
there are so many women in my life, and everybody feels that same way about pretty women. You know, it's like, oh, it's it's so great she got her Prince Charming and stuff, and isn't that great? And, and I mean, I, I get it. I understand that. But I keep saying, you know, Julia Roberts plays a prostitute in this, and, you know, it's but, – but it is it, – it's – I think it's so well done that you kind of forget about what the underlying storyline is really all about. And it's just it's just everybody's happy at the end. Yeah. And I sometimes think people fall into that line of work against their better judgment. Right. And it's sometimes the only way to get by. But um, that was a movie that kind of had you up and down and up and down right. throughout it, but it had a happy ending, so it, I, I cheered for it her. It did, and I, I love that scene where she walks into the dress shop, you know, after they've thrown her out two days earlier, and now she's got all the money, and she's, you work on commission? Oh, big mistake, big mistake. I, I think that's just a priceless oh. scene. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the call. Uh, Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're in WTMJ. Hello. It made you stand up and cheer. Chariots of fire. Oh, very classy. Hey, yeah, that's... You know the uh, about the the Olympics from like the early 1900s yeah. or something, right? Yeah, 19, 1924. Okay, post World War One. Right, that was a big deal. Yeah, you know it's it's been a while. That one that won the Academy Award, as I recall, I think back in the day. I think so. And the music, the music is great. Oh, oh yeah, that, that's one. I mean, thanks for call, Lucy. When you hear those two, when you hear the start, it is very, very recognizable. There's no question about it. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, maybe you could name some of these people in there, but I forgot them. But it's the river. Uh, the river runs through it. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Brad Pitt, right? Brad Pitt. Right. And I'll tell you, at the end of that movie, the, the one gets killed, the one son gets killed, the dad is a minister, and at the end of that movie, them, that kid's old and grown just like the dad was, and he's out there fly fishing, so it's, you got to really watch the whole dang thing to get the <laughs> picture of what it's all about, but at the end of there, when he's out there uh, fly fishing and telling his story again, right. it's just as amazing. Right. No, I think that that's, you know, I'll give you another one in, in that vein, kind of like the father and son thing. Yeah, it was Brad Pitt. It was Tom Skerritt. Um, th- those were the two big stars in that. You know, another one like that is is Field of Dreams, you know, with, um, you know, with Kevin Costner and Ray Liotta. That, that's another one that kind of it, it's I think it's kind of an odd movie. And I have to admit, it took me a while to get it. But uh, I mean, I think at the end, it's one of those where you just you want to stand up and cheer. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to um, Mike. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, without a doubt, um, greatest showman. It's just, it's just amazing. Just sends chills through my body. Um, you know, I've I got to confess, I I have not seen that. That's kind of like the the PT Barnum one, right? Yes, if you have not seen, I recommend you watch it tonight. It is just amazing. Okay, uh, great. All right, I, I, thanks for calling. I, I have, I, I mean, I'm always looking for those things. I've seen it on. I've just, I've never. I got to confess, I've never seen it. Um, let's talk to Bill and Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Bill. Uh, I'm not a Paul Newman fan, but I had a hard time deciding between The Sting and The Verdict, oh. and I'm going to take The Verdict. I, you know, um. 
what, they're, they're both great choices. You know, the Sting, which won the Academy Award, that that's got a. I remember seeing that in the theaters, and it's got a complete twist. Yep. You, you don't you don't see the ending coming, and, and everybody stay. I, yes, I'd stand up and applaud for that. The verdict, as a recovering lawyer myself, that's a darker sort of movie. But when they win at the end and they get that big verdict and stuff, you're right. It makes you want to just kind of stand up and cheer. They're both excellent. Both, Both excellent. Good. Thank you for yeah. your time. No, thank you for the call. Both of them are absolutely great choices. Okay. Uh, Pamela. Pamela, you're on WTMJ. Thank you. Hi, My favorite movie of all time was October Sky. I believe it was back in the early 90s yeah. when these two young high school people were so interested in science and, and going into outer space. And the one father was a coal miner in yep. Pennsylvania, and he wanted his son to follow in his footsteps right. and be a coal miner. And this son just absolutely refused, and he worked and worked on these rockets. And the dad never came to see any of his, um, you know, early right. early um, shootings. And at the end of the movie, he ended up working for NASA when right. he, you know, as he grew into a young man. It's so inspiring. It just—it um, makes you want to stand up and cheer. No, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Oh, I'm sorry. Pop culture oh, corner. Thanks. That's I hit the wrong button. Um, we, we can reset that, Jordan. Okay. Um, let's see. I we're we're just about out of time. Uh, let me just go through. We got a ton of text. Coach Carter. Um, yes, that's obviously would be a great one. Top Gun, yeah, um, Major League, that would be a good one. Um, on Golden Pond, um, sure. Uh, Man of Honor, right, that would be the Robert De Niro movie. Um, let's see here, Avatar, okay, um, Footloose, yeah, Footloose would be one that you kind of want to, like, stand up and cheer at the end. Another couple people saying Major League. How about Cinderella Man, right, the boxing movie, that would be a good one. A couple people, again, with uh, Major League here. Um, Miracle on Ice, yeah, about the U.S. Olympic team. Rudy, a couple people are saying Rudy, uh, officer and a gentleman. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that's another one. You know, uh, some people look at that, especially through 2020 glasses and say, oh, that, that's incredibly sexist and stuff that her goal, the Deborah Winger character's goal is to marry the naval aviator with Richard Gere. But at the same time, it, it, it's, it's one of those, as long as you take it for what it is, it's one of those kind of feel good movies where, you know, the, the, the couple ends up together and people end up cheering. Um, Norma Ray would be another one with Sally Field, I think, that gets that. Apollo 13, definitely. An outstanding movie, no question about it. And what's so great about Apollo 13 is you know you know how it's going to turn out. You know they get back safely, but you still want to cheer. Okay, that's pretty much it. I'm sorry. Lots of calls we couldn't get to, lots of texts we couldn't get to, but we always have next Friday for Pop Culture Corner.